Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another book club review episode. I am one of your hosts, Uncle AK. And with me, I got my good keepers in the, you know, the, on the Zoom call, lit ladies, of course. Um, little intro, Mane, how you doing? Happy Friday. Happy Friday. I'm here besides the cold and the snow. Yeah, man, it looks like that snow is killing you over there. Oh, my goodness. I hope this is the last one for this season. It's just a little snow like this. But anyways, Ashaya. That's what it is. T, how you doing? Good. No snow over here, so hallelujah. Lucky hey. you guys in the wild, wild west. Yeah, um, when we'll be suffering with heat, you people will not help. So. I'll take that heat over that cold anytime. But that's a topic of conversation for another day. Barbara, how do you do? What's up? Happy Friday. Well, happy New Year to the book club fam, because it's technically the first morning. So happy New Year to everyone. I'm wonderful. Yeah. Happy New Year to you too. Thank you for the reminder. You know, we have gone so far. You know, <laughs> we've been so far to January. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you see January. Let, 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 let's, let's dwell in the newness of the, the year. <laughs> nice, nice, nice. Yeah, 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 yeah. For sure, for sure. It's a great year, you know what I mean? 24. But yeah, anyways, man. Nelly, welcome. First episode. Noel. First and a half episode. Yes, <laughs> <Thank> <laughs> <you>. <laughs> half. <laughs> How are you doing? Welcome to the platform. I'm excited to be here. Thank you. Yes. Yeah, so, yes. Yeah, so, listen, if you've not subscribed, hit that subscribe button at the bottom here for um, monthly notifications on our book club or any other stock episodes. And follow us also here again. You know, subscribe to our streaming platforms at SITM Podcast, uniform like that. And this is a collab with, um, Online Central Podcast as well. Um, today, the book we are talking about is Behold the Dreamers. And I would let Nelly do us the honors. Well, welcome to our book club podcast. Today, we're delving into Behold the Dreamers by Imbolo Mbue. This compelling novel explores the immigrant experience through the story of a Cameroonian family living in New York during the 2008 financial crisis. It's a tale of aspiration perseverance, and the clash of dreams against the harsh realities of American life. As we unravel the complexities of the Jonga family's journey, we'll discuss themes of class, race, and the pursuit of the American dream. This poignant story promises to spark thoughtful discussion and reflection on the immigrant experience in contemporary America. Let's start the conversation. So... How did Behold the Dreamers resonate with your experiences or views on the American dream? It almost seemed like an exaggeration um, of an immigrant struggle, but I promise you it is not. Um, I could find my story, some similarities with what the Jonga family went through. And it was, to me, I think it was consoling to an extent to think that you know, somebody else had a struggle story, you know, even if it was fictional. But I think that it stems from reality, right? Because I don't think her fiction could have, you know, conjured up such vivid e imagination. So I, it was consoling to know that, you know, some people do share my struggle. Um, for me, I think it helped me be more grateful of my story 
because there were moments where I'll put the book down because I, I listened to the audio back in I think 2016 and then reading the actual book some parts of it were like oh yeah I remember this part and some parts were like wait what is this how it happened so there were times where I would put the book down and say you know what I may have struggled over the whole journey to this point may have been a struggle but phew, not this bad like there were moments where my heart was getting really, really lazy. I was like, wait, why am I acting like this is the first time I'm reading it? But yeah, it helped it helped me appreciate my or look at my journey differently. The book, I when I read the book because I just did the audio, I actually have not had an opportunity to read the actual book yet, which I will. I think every immigrant, it doesn't matter where you're from, Africa, Asia, wherever you are, you're raising a little story somehow. There's a part of it, either from Nanny and um, Jende, or the whole immigration um, struggle with the lawyers, and then finally, myself, there's something about the story that resonated. And particularly, this the whole immigration thing, I just, it, it kind of hit home for me because I could understand and relate to that pain. Like, I'm like, ah, there are moments that I've been there, yeah. I said it's fictional, but it hits home a little bit, maybe too close especially at the end, but he does. Yeah, I think that for me, the story itself, I could see so many people that I know, family and friends who have experienced little bits of this story up until the point of what's their son's name, up until the point of that little boy. Um, just about everyone that I know who's an immigrant has experienced a little piece of it. So it's definitely um, relatable to our views as immigrant of the American dream. Yeah, and then I echo that, especially like going to school, you know, I mean, all of us, we've, you know, we're going to college here and there are, you know, student, international students, you know, even mm -hmm. you come and, you know, you go through like asylum process and everything, you know, some, some people's journeys are easier than others. And then also finding out others that come through the Mexican route, they gotta, you know, take this plane here, catch this boat there, walk through the jungle here, you know, it's crazy, right? Just to, you know, be able to hear these different stories and then hear this one too as well. And, you know, it's, it's, I don't know, it's comforting, it's saddening. You know, there's so many mixed emotions. You know, I should read the book. It's like a roller coaster of different emotions. But at the end of the day, each and every one of us has our own definition of what, of what the American dream is. So it's nice to have heard what somebody else's is too. But let's dive into the characters, you know. Um, Let's name some of the characters in the in the in the book T. Since you like since you have been starting, I beg <laughs> just one of us have listed some of them. <laughs> um, I think the main characters were the Jonga family, um, made of the dad, uh Jende, the wife Nenny, um, they got a son, Leomi, and then later a daughter, um, Timba, or uh, was what she was named. Then you have the Clarks, uh, the Edwards family. It's Clark, his wife, Cindy, and their two sons, Vince and Mighty. Then you have uh, Abubakar, the lawyer for the Jonga family. Then you have uh, Jende's cousin, um, Winston, Winston mm -hmm. who was there and... Um, that's pretty much who the main characters are. 
So within those main characters, you know, to each and every one of us, uh, <laughs> which character did you, you know, which character did you find most relatable to? And why? I think Jende. That when he went for his job interview, not knowing how to act or how to respond or what to do or what not to do and being scared to offend the um I, that character was relatable to me with regards to my first job in the US. I think I did um retail. Um I did not get to do like home health aid and and part of that was because I don't like dogs, I don't like pets. So the idea of going into people's house and potentially running into their pet and all of that was like a no no for me of doing home health. So I got into retail, but the whole interview process, I remember being so sweaty that I was like, okay, I'm so scared. I'm so sweaty now. I'm worried about being so sweaty. And yeah, there was a whole lot of um, nerves in the beginning. You know, my first few jobs, but um, over time, I have learned the skills and um, felt uncomfortable with doing interviews. So yeah, Jendi is... In that aspect, that's how I find um, find Jende related. Mane kind of touched a little bit on um, Jende, especially with the first job interview. I think we all coming here as immigrants, we've had that experience somehow. <laughs> I know I sure did. But um, there was that part. And then uh, there's this part, I think it was towards the end, when which we're going to deep dive into the little part where he got, where he got fired from his job by Mr. Clark because he did what he was supposed to do. It was something that happened. It actually happened to me, especially when I was going to my first residency. And I remember, I was like, it took me that particular part. It literally just, um, it took me right there because I went through different emotions to the point. I'm like, huh, when you said you can't, and then I went, they called it, before we got to that, but it was a whole conversation where the wife and Winston was having about them not trusting people, the Caucasian trust when it comes to your job because they'll turn against you. I that hope I just went through that whole process with us when I was reading to that. But his character, I think, in how he talks to his boss and how respectful he is and he afraid to ask questions or not to step on any toes. I think that's something that is relatable to us as immigrants in general. Um and then Nanny, um Nanny's character, especially when she was working um in the Hamptons with the Clarks. And when, I remember, I don't remember the other mate's name, when there was an issue and her fear to not speak up if something was wrong or her fear to... The wine. It, yes. <laughs> and I think Anna was the mate, Anna. Yes, 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 Anna. So that little part, I was like, I, I can I can totally see myself doing that. Like it was helping to go to something. And I'll go and start and it's on me. Say what I was supposed to say, I'll start rambling and say something convincing and then come back and say, Yeah, nope. <laughs> no, not doing it. <laughs> so Yeah, that little piece about um when Nanny and Anna or when Anna was actually telling Nanny what to do, you know, in regards to telling on Cindy. Um the, I felt I've like I've seen that so many times where you're at work and there's a situation and your coworker who's Caucasian is telling you about, oh, how this is wrong. Oh, you should do something about it. You should tell the boss or something like that. And your face with that decision, like, mm, how about you tell? Because when I was when I was listening to the book, I was like, why didn't Anna go tell herself? 
Exactly. You know? Um, so I feel like I've been in that space so many times. But another character that I did find myself relating to was Leo Me, the son. Um, you know, coming or migrating to America at such a young age and not having any idea of the pressures or the decisions that their parents or his parents were having to make to give him this, you know, dream life. Um, so I saw myself in him a little bit having to grow up, you know, in this country. So, See, I feel like Jinde is very popular tonight, but uh, I'm sorry, I asked to pick him. Um, I would say that I related to him in every his entire story, right? Um, having to want to, that fear of, oh my God, how how much, how long would I keep making a living, right? Um, having that pressure of taking care of family, um, having to make tough decisions, and it's not even about you, um, to his immigration case with the lawyer and the judge, and having to make tough calls and having to do damn near anything just to put food on his table. I don't think I've related to a fictional character as much as I did with Jende. Um, it, it was like looking at yourself somewhat, like having an out-of-body experience with Jende. So I, I could understand, um, Maybe that's what made me understand a lot of the decisions he made, but Jende um, stood out to me. I would say um, his wife. What's her name? Nanny. Nanny Dago. Sorry, Nanny. Yeah, his wife. Um, Jende for one, yes, but I also like to, you know, point out his wife to shout out to her for, you know, um, I don't want to use the word, but I guess I'll use the word, you know, the, <laughs> the patriarchal things that she had to go through, you know, um, one thing is not being able to voice her opinion, regardless of whether it was right or wrong. And he could like actually stand and even like try to think about it first, you know, before saying, Oh, nah, this is what we're going to do. Or even letting her at least have, you know, her shine too, at some point in time, you know, um, even though he brought her here, you know, and everything, the over excessive, um, it's like I own you type of behavior, you know, that, 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 that was a little bit wild for me because in my mind, I'm like, damn, if somebody did that to you, how you gonna feel, you know, like what if she brought you here and she told you what to do? Wouldn't you still sit on her head and say, oh, I'm the man, blah, 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 you know, all this stuff. And, and then on top of that too, like letting pride, you know, letting pride, like make you leave a place that, you know, you could have humbled yourself to still find a way to stay but go back to where, you know, you've been dreading. I mean, that's nuts to me. So shout out to, you know, Nanny. But um, I don't know. I can't believe I said that. But anyway, that's more. Actually, I wanted to piggyback a, a little bit on that, um, AK. So Nanny's character with the marriage, I think her marriage to Jen, the what it is, is I just, the one thing I understood about the book is that's actually how marriages are in Cameroon, in Africa in general. So it was like a good representation because very true, women are not, not allowed to, but that is how marriage is defined in Cameroon. Your husband says yes, you say yes. Your husband says jump, you jump. Your husband says sit, and they depicted it. Even a lot of the times you hear when they talk about marriages, or when we're in the African community, right? The conversation is that oh, the women come here, they change, or they they adapt the American 
culture, which that part of the book that Nelly was terrified about it, especially with the, the conversation when they talk about going, there was a whole part about them going to the bar, to the club. She couldn't understand that the whole rationale because it was different from back home. So I like that the author somehow preserved that, that that is how, where there's a married couple in Cameroon, that's just that day today. It's you obey your husband and whatever the big decisions for you, I just have to accept it. Because, and, and Nene did not, she didn't change Nene to fit the American standard of things per se, as we Africans would call it, although I don't think that was a nice way, but she left it, she maintained that to preserve that culture, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. So I thought that was something pretty cool. So with that said that, I mean, you just brought us into our next segue, which was, you know, what insights do we gain, you know, about Cameroonian culture and the immigrant experience in the United States through this book? Mm, the whole puff, 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 and like, oh my God. <laughs> with this weather, I was just like, puff, 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 and some beans will make sense right now. I know, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's actually one of the few parts I remember from listening to the audio back in 2016. It was just heartwarming that, um, what's his name, Mighty? Yes. Uh -huh. I'm so excited about puff, puff. I was like, wow, okay, yeah. I don't know if that relates to culture, but. That part was great to read it. It was like, close my eyes and I can picture myself somewhere back in Cameroon and having a good outside of the like I don't want to say it was like, a, there are a couple of things that gave us insight. It's not a Cameroonian culture per se, but it's just African in general. One, the you having to work and send money back home to take care of your parents, them constantly uh, reaching out to you for money, you being worried, like, or in the U.S., or thinking of a family here, but one of one of Jenny's biggest worries was that he constantly had to send money back home, not just for his family, but for his wife's family, just so he could um, he could take care of. So it showed, as I think, the audience like a difference between being an American and being an immigrant. We have different sets of worries compared to them. Besides the immigration part of it, because to live in a foreign land to live in America or anything else that your papers is your your key. You have to have papers to survive anyway. And so besides that part, it's just the different worries that we have to deal with. We have our, our home base here, but we also have to take care of things um back home. Hmm. So that was that was something that it's not Cameroon per se, but I think it's just something all Africans or immigrants have to like deal with. Hmm. That's a good one. That's a good one. To me, I'll go back before they came to the U.S., right? Um, where Jende impregnated Nene and Nene's father threw him in jail. <laughs> well, that is the lifestyle back home yeah, in Cameroon, right? Mm -hmm. um, it's not like here, oh, I'm 18, I can do what I want. Well, you can't. You really cannot. And it's, it's as easy as I know somebody and I want them in jail. It's as easy as that and you're in jail. Mm -hmm. And they can throw away that key and nobody would, would look for you. And so that was, it was interesting to bring back that, I don't want to say memory, but like a trauma. It's, that's traumatic, right? But to, to see that that was brought out, that was, it, it was interesting. Because sometimes you tell people and they're like, oh no, call the cops. Well, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what cops you're about to call, but 
<laughs> for some reason, I thought that it was just made up, you know, I thought it was a made up asylum story, but I was like, wait, this sounds real. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you want to hear people asylum stories here, yeah, everybody? The way you laugh, choking that story like that. <laughs> oh, well, see, I'm glad you brought back, uh, back home. But am I the only one that enjoyed the story when Nanny was telling, I don't know if it was Mighty, the story about when, you know, her parent, her father was rich, and mm-hmm. then. I like how they describe the customs that they take bribes, but they really don't say they take bribes. Yeah. I like that part because that's just typical African uh, culture. But the part about them getting the TV and all the kids will come. Yes, it was just so sad. Like they'll come and gather and watch, and they'll win the CRTV. Uh, what was that color? That, that that little line that will pop up. On oh, the, the 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 line, the yellow line with the, the yellow line. Yes, lines. yes, <laughs> yes. I enjoyed that. I did the cartoon, and then when they were watching a like, see, I'm excited. When I watching a while, like I watching like a TV, I just... and then a kissing pad comes up. You gotta <laughs> turn your head. You gotta turn your head. Oh, cover your eyes. <laughs> I'm like, that is so back home, and it's yeah. such a massive difference. Than in America or the Western culture, because they just said, like, just watch it. Cameron, are you mad? In fact, <laughs> if they even mention that you know something like that, <laughs> yo, it took me, my mom whooped me. I got whooped because they were kissing and I watched. My mother said, Baba, you open your eye. <laughs> you open your eye. <laughs> they could have sent you to a seminary school. I mean, sorry. Age <laughs> <Major> of Lords. <laughs> you know, cause I was whooped. <laughs> but anyway, I like that. <laughs> <laughs> there was that one part in, in the book where I mean it's as simple as, you know, for the clerks, they sit on a you know on a dining table to eat, you know, but when they went when the kids went over to, you know, um the Jenga's family, they told them, Hey man, you can grab your food and you can sit anywhere. You know, what I mean, me I've always been that person that I, I still I still dislike dining tables. You know, dining tables is to set up food. You go and grab your food from there and then you gotta find your own space. You know, because mm-hmm. some people chew crazy, some people like hitting the plate. You know, I'm speaking of me though. But anyways, um, and I don't like people, you know, disturbing me. So I just like to go and sit in my own corner and do as I please with the food. So yeah, that one really, you know, that that stood out to me a little bit. I even like the whole idea of them all eating together and the fact that they were having this little boy come over to visit them and Nani went all out with you know creating mm. a spread it was very um nostalgic or it's very typical of our culture you know where everything seems like a celebration you know if you were going over to your i don't know if you're going to go hang out with your american friend or something i highly doubt that it's a spread that you're going to walk into you'll be so lucky I to get crackers so i think that that was very typical of um cameroonian culture nearly just along those lines like right um uh, were there any like moral or ethical you know dilemmas in the book that particularly intrigued Mm -hmm. or challenged you yeah um definitely um when nani walked in on cindy and met her you know half dead um, and she had to decide if to call for help, if to call 911, or if to just leave, like she never saw it. Because if she walked away, like she never saw it, and Cindy did in fact die, you know, she would have been stuck with the ethical dilemma of, oh, I could have, I could have done something about it. 
Um, at the same time, if she reported it, she could risk losing her job. So I think that that was a very, um, that was a tough moment for her in deciding what to do. And then calling her friend, I forget what her name was. And the friend was like, just walk away or just walk away. It was very typical of African nature of, oh, just, just mind your business and keep on moving, you know, versus the American culture of, oh, we have to do something about it. We have to do something. Yeah. So yeah, I think that that would have been probably the only ethical thing that I saw there. Yeah. yeah. Man, me was sorry. I just jumped in because he was go ahead, going, go, go ahead, sorry, my name. Go ahead, go ahead, jump in. Don't remind us after you go. It ahead. was when Nanny stomped into uh the Edwards' house with that picture to blackmail yeah. Cindy. Listen, yep. I have never supported something wrong <laughs> as much as I did that. I was like, You go, girl, get your coins, get your coins. And when she flipped out the photo she had of Cindy and said she was going to blackmail her. I was proud of that woman. I was so proud of her life. Girl, you learned. And it's and I can result because I I worked somewhere where I it was so backstabbing that I I was keeping evidence right on my phone and stuff because they'll come and say, Oh, this was wrong. Okay, here's a photo. It wasn't me or it's somebody else. And so I was I could relate to that and I was so proud that she she got 10 grand out of that and she was, was not enough. <laughs> she was it was not enough, but um maybe in 2008, <laughs> 10, 10 grand was 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 a, yeah. that was a lot of stacks, you yeah. know. And I was so proud of her and she was so proud of herself. That to me, I mean, it's like, well, blackmail kind of is wrong, but like, I mean you sometimes you got to do what you got to do especially after they did her and her family dirty so i mean she got a lick back (laughs) (laughs) oh i was just gonna piggyback off of what nelly was talking about it i mean i would not my initial thought was like you never saw it because somebody else would eventually find out if she died you know maybe her son or somebody else but um it turned out not to be well, it turned out that she didn't die, so. But yeah, my first thought was just, just walking away like I never saw it. Because it's not like nowadays where people have cameras in their houses, like, everywhere. So I was assuming that back then there was no evidence of you. If you didn't touch her, your fingerprints are not on her. So besides you being in the house around the time from when she quote-unquote died, I didn't see how... You'll be, you'll tie, she'll be tied to the to the incident because in the event that, you know, the culprit involved, her papers were on the line. So that was my thinking. Just walk the way I can pass on it. Yeah, no, I, I, I think, oh, okay, okay, I'm sorry if I just cut in, but I, if she had walked away, I'd have had a problem because I was just like, even when she called her husband or tell her not to do anything, I had a problem with it. I was like, so you guys are just going to leave that woman there. Like, she's not going to do anything. But I, I mean, could understand, yeah, I could understand where, <laughs> that's just me personally, okay, yeah. that's just me personally, I, I, I will not walk away, like, I just, I cannot, because it will, I, I'll see if I have died this, that, in that particular scenario, so, I'm glad she did what she did, that, the, the author just said that she actually did help, and the woman did need her help, and it turned out, 
good at that point in time. But I think the part that I resisted so much to was that blackmail. It felt so satisfying. Like, it felt so good when she did it. I was like, yes! <laughs> but at the back of my head, I was like, oh, I mean, that... In, if we're doing the Cambodian culture per se, we're not blackmail somebody now. That's just so, that's just something we do. It's like, <laughs> yes, we do. I don't know what Cameroon you're from. Let me put it in my head. We don't do that kind of thing. It's like you talk, but that's that. But you don't come. I she had buy, and I gave her respect. But my American side was like, you know what, you gotta do what you gotta do. I gave her much respect for that because she went against her husband and she saw that her husband was struggling and she did the best that she could to survive her family. So I don't blame her. It's just how she went about it. I was like, like I have some more pride in that. You made me proud as an African. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because Africans would tell you to walk away. Don't do anything. So I had a little pride there. Speaking of walking away, um, Therese, I'd like for you to take this. Talk about about uh, speak a little a little bit about the lawyer. How did you feel about the lawyer in this book? <laughs> First of all, if I can find him, I will knock him upside the head because <laughs> I feel like he misled uh, Jende. I don't think he provided adequate counsel for him. I think he just he took light of the situation, right? And sometimes you get a lawyer or someone to defend you in a case and they don't really know how the shoe fits. They don't really know where it hurts the most. And so he he did the bare minimum, I think. I don't think he fought hard enough for for, for Jende. Um, when Jende decided that he was going to do um, a voluntary exit, I was like, this lawyer, this man didn't even fight for him. You know what I mean? The lawyer just let him decide and walk away. So I just felt like he was, he, he, maybe he was competent, but I just think with Jende's case, he, he dropped the ball on that one. I think he did. I think he was competent. It's just, it's not a competent. It's, uh, Abubakar is a definition of an African. We win it. Oh, you know, it's not that bad. It's the same. I did Mr. XYZ's case. He walked. And so just apply. He, when I tell you, he's an epitome of how an African man. Let me say man. Okay, okay I'm not taking a Japanese African man. So please, nobody miss me. But an African. Okay, that they just they, they, they take things lightly. Like he played. He was lazy. He annoyed. He was, he was, he annoyed me the entire, the entire time. I thought at one point they said he did not have a car. He was not even a lawyer, right? Let me die no, he had left the law firm that he was working for. So the man he like he to me, he is the reason that this guy got deported or the, the, he, his his immigration thing fell to the cracks because I think he was lazy. He didn't know what he was supposed to do. He does whatever. Why you know what? We'll just flow the system. You know, we'll find loopholes in the system and then we'll figure. Don't worry about it. Don't let's not stress. He was, in fact, he yeah. demonstrated the character that a lot of Africans do, and it pisses me off, especially when you come to a different country. You think what we do back home, you're going to apply here, it's going to work. But things just don't work like that. And so, like, it just, he just, he annoyed me. Because I think he did that because Jende wasn't really paying him that much. I well, think true. so. 
We so know he people. just he just did whatever. And that, that, they that's are people right now. The thing is that you that particular Abubakar's case, like the lawyer, in reality, if we want to extrapolate what happened, in reality, we have a lot of Africans, Cameroonians, who have met people like that, mm. and it has derailed that cases in real life. That's why I think that's well because I know people who are Abubakar, and they have messed up people's lives here, and they dragged the immigration thing case. I'm like, yeah, Abubakar, this the author describes a typical Cameroonian like to the T. I mean, I to piggyback on that, I don't necessarily know if that's a Cameroonian or an African thing. I think general, I feel like in Abubakar's case, he was just doing it like he was doing a favor to Winston and then making money on the side. Um, I think that he left it to the hands of immigration. I think that he felt like mm, at the end of the day, there's not really much that I can do. It's up to immigration, starting with the reason why he chose to do his asylum based on the, it wasn't a strong asylum case. Yeah, that story. That's why you, you don't need to be a lawyer to know that if you were the U.S. immigration system, you're not going to give someone asylum because, oh, her dad is going to threaten to lock me up because I impregnated her and the child died. But then somehow we still have a child. It just did not make sense. One, it wasn't a strong enough case. I feel like he could have done more research he could have gone the extra mile if he has the experience that he claimed that he had um he could have come up with a better story um for jenday so i really think that he was just doing it to just get get paid some extra cash which was kind of sad but yeah unfortunately that's the case with a lot of us um who come here and we want to go to professionals that we know or someone we know knows them you know, a lot of people who want to take a referral only from someone that, it, oh, X, Y, and Z went to this lawyer, so they must be good, and that's who I'm going to go with, when really it's the person is just incompetent. Yeah. Nope. Add to that, from my experience with lawyers, I've mostly been Black, Afri well, African-American and African, is that they, the amount of effort they put in your case depends on how much they can get out of it. Mm. So this has been my assessment based on the experiences I had because I had a lawyer who told me that oh you won't make money from this case I'm like I'm not really coming to you because I want to make money out of this case I'm just trying to prevent other people from going through this experience and I said well you can just write to the board of blah 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 and you can make a difference that way I'm like I I think that it would be more impactful if he comes from a lawyer and I was like, no, nah. I was like, okay, he won't take the case. So as he said, no, somebody else called me. And this other person figured out they could make X, Y, Z from the case to the case. So this same lawyer had a different case. I was like, okay, can you do this? He was dragging. I found somebody else to take the case. So yeah, I feel like from my experience, I'm not speaking about every lawyer. It's almost like if they just want to make money mm -hmm. as a drive-by, they're like, okay, I'll take your case. But if they have a, if it looks like they'll make a fortune for me, it's kind of how much they would make out of it. You can tell from how much effort they put in the case. Because a lawyer will text me every day, call me every day. This is the status. This is the progress. But this other case, it was just dragging. And then when I found somebody else, it was like, oh, you didn't respond by it. And I'm like, I found somebody else. But yeah, I mean, it's sad that, you know, some people's lives kind of revolve around money, but. It's what it is. There was that part in the book where he had called Winston to ask Winston if, I mean, what should he do? 
right? Being that the lawyer is not up to par with, you know, the case and things like that. And Winston said, well, I mean, at this point in time, since they had, you know, been with this lawyer this far, they should, you know, see that through. And I think um, then he mentioned something as, I mean, you already started with this river, so why not just see through the end too, right? Um, being that, you know, he, he to him, he had like this sense of, oh, okay, I've made my decision and this is that. I was, I mean, I was, in my mind, I was like, why can't you just make a decision and say, you know what, this is not going as planned and actually switch lawyers? Or why can't you just ask your boss? You know what I mean? Because to say, close mouths don't get fed. So why didn't he just ask his boss? I don't know. Like, was there any part in the book? Well, to me, like, that's something that, you know, as I've, you know, as I was reading the book, just keep, I keep asking myself, I kept asking myself like, yo, why wouldn't this guy just ask his boss? With all this in him and you can't just ask your boss like, yo, have you experienced anything with immigration and things like that? What stood out to you guys the most in this book? I think just to piggyback off of what you said, there was this saying that, um, whatever you know is better than the angel you don't know. So sometimes we tend to stick to what is what familiar or what we think we know rather than having to go meet somebody that we don't know then you're trying to know them and they're probably charging more then the person you know is acting like oh i'm giving you this price because i know you so it could have been something like that like just sticking with bubaka because winston knows him and he's quote unquote the devil i know as opposed to asking um mr clark the white so different it's different for me it's different in status and all of that so yeah. is not from cameroon no it's nigerian right yeah yeah yeah, okay. But at least it was African, I said. So somehow they could relate. They could. And they said he, um, for what uh, Abubakar was saying, was that he has helped a couple of people and they've gotten their papers. So I think he did have some credit to give it to him. It's just the way he went about it. But AK, so to answer your question, right, about why he did not just go to his boss, remember he, his, I think his work permit was getting, um, when he got hired, they never really do a full background check to see if he had a legit work permit or not. So there was that fear that he had that was engraved in him that if this man discovers that he doesn't have legit work papers, he's going to lose his job. Yes, did he have an amazing relationship with the family? He did. But that, in my head, I was like, I can understand why he didn't ask him because that was in the back of his mind already. Like he had that. He's like, I don't want to lose his job because it's all I have to sustain my family. Secondly, he's a man. He's a typical African man to the core. There was no way in hell he was going to sit there and say, listen, this is what's going on. He had said, he had his pride and he had talked about this thing. I said, he's not just going to bring his immigration issues and tell this man, what if he had a paranoia? Remember when Denny went and told the the preacher, the, the pastor about the issues, how he freaked out? I'm so I'm trying to take that fight and put it that it was unlikely that he would have had that conversation with Mr. Clark. So Mr. Clark did ask him, like, why didn't you just tell me? Why didn't you just come to me and say, hey, xyz and him the gender himself could not answer so he had his reasons that they were actually valid like he had a legit fear which you cannot trust people especially immigration immigration is in on honestly it's a very sensitive topic especially he since he's filing for asylum he was creating a story that did not exist he's, he, he has an american dream he's trying to stay here in the u.s and so he was worried that if the, maybe if they find out that they find out about his immigration that he was going to lose his job and he was also convinced that the government was listening to his conversation. So it was very, very <laughs> unlikely that 
was going to have that conversation with his boss. So I think maybe that's why he just didn't ask for help or think outside counsel, outside, I think, Winston, Denny, and the lawyer. is stuck within the, his friends of group that he could trust. So I'm mm. assuming that's why he never just reached out. Well, since I saw you have something with, you know, African men mentality. But since you have mentioned it, it's like, I'm telling me, ask you this. Oh my God. Let me ask you this. Please make me a correlation between all the men writing the book. What is what are three similarities with all these men in the book? The African we, just... the African men or, or just No, all the men. Yeah, well, yeah, African the African men. men. Yeah, the African men. just come to mind, but I'm sure. No, no, no. Go ahead. Uh please take the pressure I think off. Me. Not taking um not taking I don't want to say others, but not taking counsel. Uh, yeah, from mm -hmm. women. Mm -hmm. Or not even listening. I mean, that's what pop, popped in my mind. Yeah. That's one. Not... Nelly, feel free to join in. Therese, feel free to join in. <laughs> I'll say their sense of wanting to take care of their family. In spite of everything and all their differences, they had that in common. Right? They wanted to take care yes they they would they would and did what they could to take care of their families so that uh, i'll applaud them for that which i think we should talk more about though because i had a um how can i say mr clark <laughs> yeah. let me shut up um oh, go ahead. <laughs> oh, bring it up bring it up go so, I mean, it up. Here. i mean i like where it's going because I mean, I applaud his way of, I don't know, sacrificing his family to take care of his family. But the way that he was going about it did not, I mean, it didn't make sense to me, but some, somehow I understood that to give them the life that he was giving them and the life that they had gone accustomed to required him sacrificing being away from them. Because mm -hmm. something has to give. If you want to spend time with your family, mm -hmm. then work is going to have to, I don't want to say suffer, but work is going, you're going to have to cut time at work. But then there's this mentality of men attaching their worth to how much they make or how much they can provide for their family. So it's a, I don't know. It's like you do this, you lose this. You do this, you lose this. And I was just like... I mean, there's a happy medium. I just don't know that he um, wanted to get to the happy medium. See, trying to stay positive. We Clark, right? Clark's happy medium. Yes, he he did. He had his stronghold of taking his family. He wanted his family to have the the private planes and everything else. But you could clearly tell the man was stressed out until he had to go find a prostitute to release <laughs> his stress. I mean, he, so he sacrificed with his wife. He, that's what I'm saying. He, um, that part is that, I think that part of it was the one I could not understand. Like, I do, like, yes, I agree. He gave us a lot to make sure his family was good, but it's just how much he had to sacrifice for it. And he realized that at the end, like, how much he had to offer up just to make sure his, his family was all together and he lost it and he lost the relationship with his son. So, but I actually want us to talk about it because this, this particular part, it was not just Mr. Clark with all the men. It's just how much Jenday, like if we started before he even got the job with uh, Mr. Clark, he worked, he had like three 
jobs or so. He cleaned, he cooked, he he did everything just to make sure his family was uh, was taken care of. Though how much work African parents had to go just to make sure that um, Leomi had the best life that they could. That was something that I think touched my heart and I resonated a lot with. How much parents sacrifice to make sure their kids are okay. I don't know if it's just the men or the men and the women. It's just the parents in general in the book. It was something that they had in common, but the lengths they would go to make sure that that family was good. Even the class, like Cindy, Cindy and um, Mr. Clark, they had that understanding. Yes, Cindy understood. I think she understood her role as what she had to do to support her husband. Her husband did the work and she made sure she was very heavy. She even mentioned it to, and when she was having a conversation, when they first of all found her, that she had OD. Um, the conversation that she had with Nelly there, where she came from, I'm going to digress. The woman had a lot of issues. But where she came from and her family right now and her biggest goal was that she wanted them to be together. She, I think she was looking for love that she never had growing up in her family and she never got it. She felt like they kept abandoning her. And so she did everything she could to fit, to make sure that worked. And then if we go to the to the Jendays, Nanny worked a couple of jobs. I think it was in Nanny or Jenday that had said that she was going to work five or six jobs if she could to make sure Leomi had the best live the American dream that they had. So that was something that they both had in common. I think all of them It's just how much devoted they were to each of their families in their the best way, in their own ways. The woman did not know what type of job this guy had before she got married to this guy. Ooh. <laughs> um, I don't know. In the beginning, it did not. Well, I, I can't I can't speak for her or but um the fact if I not so much for me, right? It's not so much the demanding nature of the job, it's how he decided to relieve his stress. What's she doing it? Political way. Huh? What's she doing it though? Sorry, I didn't hear that. What's she doing it? Right? Like what's I mean, she they, what did like they it? say anywhere you in the book that, that he not. tried and it did not work? Mm-hmm. Well, I, I, you know, like I, I like to use my, you know, my two cents and my judgments. You know, what I'm saying somebody who easily run to medication and alcohol. You know, what I mean that's proof to me that, you know, well, that's a little bit of proof to me that this guy probably tried, and it was not working, and he had to go someplace else. But that's besides the point. Wow, um, coping mechanism. That's besides Today. the point. I feel as though I feel as though um, if you're gonna stay home. And I got to work, you know, uh, and you enjoy this luxury lifestyle, you know, um, there's just certain things that there's just certain things that, you know, you two going to have to find a way to not stress about, but keep trying to make sure that, you know, that implement it. For example, family gatherings. Yes, the time might not be now, but it doesn't stop you to keep trying again next year. Try again. You know what I'm saying? Wow. We might try again next year. Something might happen. But to say, <laughs> to say that, you know, to stop this thing I'm doing, that will give us this luxury lifestyle that you enjoy too. Like, come on, man. You know, you know your role, play your role similar. I said, no more, I'm playing it. If today, if you know, if today I wake up and, you know, I cannot provide, it'll be a different issue. The depression that you fall into will be the one that, you know, not even alcohol or whatever can bring you back. But that's, that's just one of my two cents to that. <laughs> I mean, if she had chosen to cope, Definitely. Would Mr. Clark have been okay with it? 
hypothetically. Mane, you keep saying cope, but she what the issue she was trauma. coping with had nothing to do with the plot. No, right. yes, that's, that's nothing. what I nothing. She was coping with something and yes, with her mm -hmm. own childhood traumas. And I think that because of that, she mentally checked out of her right. family and her marriage. Yes, she was home, but she was checked all the way out. Even when they went to the Hampton, she had no cognizance of who comes and when they leave. Like she was checked out. So I guess because of that, I can say it's safe to say that, well, Clark knew that she was fighting her own battles and he just didn't want to go and have he to did. start something. And so he just went where he would just get what he wants and come back home. But didn't so, she check out because he wasn't? He was always canceling meetings and I mean that was part of it, but she was already in her drugs and alcohol. That the him canceling and not coming just it kind of just added on top of that. Maybe you know, yeah. It kind of triggered her even more like, okay, I've dealt with all this. The one person that I want to be with still isn't choosing me. But I feel but did like he even know of the, did he even know about her doing drugs and alcohol? But no, we he didn't know. And we, we also don't... don't know what how much she knew about her childhood trauma and how she was dealing with that. We don't know. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The only time because the only conversation that Eva came up was when she was talking to Nenny, how she's a child of rape and how her her mother, she didn't really um get love from her. Her mom favored her youngest and she struggled. And even when Anna, the housekeeper, was saying when the mother came over, how they used to fight. But when the sister came, you can tell the differences. So she was struggling with a lot of issues. And I kind of mentioned it earlier that her family, the cracks and the kids, was where she was looking for her love. She lacked the love and she wanted it, the attention, but her husband, he gave it to her. So she, didn't she didn't she have a conversation with Clark before she had that conversation with Nanny until Mr. Clark walked out of the kitchen and left her? No, so there was the that first was conversation about Vince. Had. That was about was Vince moving Vince to India. No, that she, she didn't mention, huh? I said before we moved to India, she had been having those. Um, there was a okay before the India part, Vince cancelled um, an internship that she was supposed to do, and before Vince was supposed to go on vacation or somewhere with them, and Vince cancelled it. So it's like they were like a, a, and a she couple blamed of, him. She blamed, blamed Mr. Clark. She blames Mr. Clark never for never. That was her old thing. She said, "You're never home." You leave the family to me to support. Like, I'm trying to get you to, like, your son, and he, he needs you. And I think he said it was her job to do whatever. She said, that's what it is, like, different arguments. It just piled up if you read it through. Like, it was just like a, like an add-up of things that it got to that point. I mean, the boys need your father. So I, I, I still stand at the point that he could have been more available, not even to the wife, but at least to Vince. Not that it could have stopped him from going to India, but... There was this part where um, I think Jen did. He was going to some appointment that got canceled and they ended up at some park. And um, he told Jen did to come meet him and they were watching the whole sunset. It turns out that Vince loved to watch the sunset. And Jen did just figured out that Mr. Clark and his son, Vince, they have a lot in common. But both of them would not know that because they don't get to spend time with each other. So I get that maybe the wife was checked out. But as a son, you need your dad. So if he did not even have like son hangouts, you no know, dad and son hangouts, which 
There's something in the book, right, that I think um, Mr. Clark had mentioned. He he did say it. there was a reason. He said he he wanted a, a life where his family would not have to look for anything. He wanted the life that he wanted. He was aware of it, and he did he did say in the book that he wanted to give them everything that they wanted and for them for him to get to that point i think in his head i'm just assuming and the writer's head was that the wife understood her role like i was not going to be around you have to handle all of this so it's kind of like if you really like you feel like if he was brushing things off like if they come to tell him about these he's just like you handle it he's a guy he, you're supposed to a man he said it when especially when he said he was going to find himself he said his goal was a man is supposed to have a job that is supposed to sustain his family. There's this thing that they say, um, is that men are responsible or women are accountable? <laughs> you're responsible. You're, yes, you're responsible for your family. Mr. Clark, in this book, he depicted that you are supposed to have a job that's going to give you money to support your family. You cannot tell me that you want to get around the world to do whatever you want to do. How is that going to help you? That's why he was hard on the sun, which is what Cindy was saying. That because he wants, which is also something that Vince did mention, that he feels like his dad wants him to go to law school because he wants to create this life for him that he doesn't want. Which um, I think we're going to get back to it. I wanted to talk to talk about that. But he want his family. He, his dad was creating this what this this whole has set this whole path for him. But they never really asked him what he wanted, and that's not something that he wants. And he had a problem that. And Mr. Clark coming from he again he came from a different generation than Vince. He did not understand that he's like this makes no sense to me. Like I've laid the carpet out for you. Like I don't throw a red carpet walk on top of you. I'm going to the other side. Like help me, help me understand. But at the end, he did understand his son, and he said it was part of him for the decisions he made. That he was bold because he, Mr. Clark, would have never gone to that point. Mm. One thing that like kind of pissed me off as I listened to this was, Jende actually he could piece you know the relationship between father and son, but chooses to be quiet because of whatever <laughs> beliefs that he has. And I was like, yo, you are pissed. Why? Why not just say? You know what I mean? Um, just say it. You you never know what might happen. They might probably he might probably use that, you know, what I mean, for something better, or the kid too might probably use that for something better. But regardless, um, coming from where I come from, you know, listening to a kid like that, I'm like, I need to take a hammer, hit your head, you know, so you could realize what blessings that you have. Because you're talking about going to India, you go see things that you yourself you'll be you'll be like, yo, you know, I'm really blessed, I'm privileged, you know. So why I wanna go that extent? But then some people got to learn the hard way, I guess. You know what I mean? There's nothing wrong. But again, coming from where I come from, I don't see again a reason why a father cannot work as hard to provide for their kid. At some point in time, emotions will come in the way, but they, but the kids who, you know, growing up too can also understand that, yo, this lifestyle that, you know, I'm living, like it takes sacrifice because if I look in the next block, it might be darker than where I'm at. Do you want to be there? Do you want to understand the sacrifices that it took, you know, for not being there to being in this position that you are? Yeah, I understand, you know, emotional, this, emotional, that, uh-huh, uh-huh. But still, like, if food is not on the table, if you don't have this fancy-ass things, it's going to be, oh, my dad never worked to do this. But now that it's provided, it's another problem. I mean, at the end of the day, <laughs> people have different problems in this life. You know what I'm saying? All I'm saying is, if I was in that position, then, I mean, still, I want to do what I want to do, but there ain't no way... I'm about to fuck up my bag. You know what I mean? Some things I'll be like, yes, yes, sir. Yes, dad. You know, just because I want my monthly allowance to keep coming as is. I don't want a penny to drop off of it. So I don't know what they're talking about. <laughs> For me, <laughs> it's yes, dad. Please, I beg. When are you coming back again? Next week? Sure. I don't know that week. What's my problem there? 
hey, some people like emotions past money. Some people like money past emotions. You pick your own, you know. That's how I see it. So, okay, I have a question for you, or for sure. the group, right? Just with beans, I think the entire beans relationship with his parents and how he went about the decisions that he made for him rejecting his internship to waking up and moving to a whole country. As Africans, the board, we would have had that opportunity to do that to our parents. And do you guys think it was his privilege talking or he was just a young man trying to figure out, find his way out in this world? It was definitely his privilege. Mm-hmm. I absolutely agree. It was his privilege for sure. <laughs> Why do we think it's his privilege? Thank you. Let's enough to even have something to what walk away from yeah he had a choice yeah but he had a choice to walk away from from something like if you come from nothing you don't have a choice there's nothing that you're trying to rebel against or walk away from if anything else you're trying to walk towards a dream for yourself right but he had that luxury to be able to make that kind of choice which you know it's it, it, it's it's not no fault to him but he it's just where he was born at so he was able to do that because of that so and i think it was also like an act of rebellion against his dad um why he did all that but still it's because of the lifestyle that his dad was able to provide okay. that he could even be able to rebel yeah and just to add on to what you're saying, I think that as parents, our ultimate goal is for our kids to have a great life, right? I think that Mr. Edwards had gone to great lengths to provide that for his children. For Vince to be able to choose to walk away from all the the privileges, you know, that his dad's hard work had afforded him. Um, I don't think that his dad had seen it going that way. Because if he had gone the other route and done all the things his dad said, done the internship, gotten the right job, um, and he ended up in a profession where he didn't like it, he would have just repeated the same cycle of his dad. If he didn't like what he was doing, he was working long hours, he would have ended up with a family, married to someone that he's spending so much time away. The cycle would have just repeated itself. But what his dad did was provide him the opportunity to go explore and find himself and find what he truly is passionate about in life. And I think that that was a stark comparison between African parenting and American parenting because our parents, they have this in their mind of what the best life for us looks like, you know? Mm -hmm. So then we're raised and we go to school doing what they said we should do. Um, Some of us end up in careers that we don't really love. It's not a good fit. Some of us end up in careers that we're forced to love, you know, because our parents made all these sacrifices. Now, what happens is when your true self starts rebelling against what you were forced to love, it's a recipe for disaster. For you, the person that you choose to marry, your children, it's like a horrible cycle that just repeats itself. So I think that his privilege and the luxury that he was born into, you know, allowed him to make that choice. And it's really, it's, it's an understated freedom mm. that children are born into in this country. You know? yeah. so I'm, I'm happy for him that he was able to take advantage of that. Um, but yeah. I don't really think that it was rebellion. I definitely think that it was a privilege. Yeah. I, the funny thing about it is that, um, sorry, Ned, I just have an example. 
in high school, right? I got into when I got into laws to do something else. My mother went and removed me because she the thing that she told me to go and register for I did not. I think biology, chemistry, philosophy, and something else. My mother told me that she wanted me to do accounting, so she went and removed me, withdrew me from the school, took the money, assessed me, and to do the economic stuff she sent me to do. I just have to mention that. <laughs> And you know, <laughs> you know, sometimes privilege doesn't always have to be a bad thing, right? Um, it's an asset. And I would wish, the one thing I would wish for myself is to give my kids that privilege, like Nelly said, to be able to explore. Only privilege can give you that. Mm -hmm. It's only privilege. And so it doesn't necessarily have to be a bad thing. It's only a bad thing if if you abuse it, right? Or if you don't. You don't optimize its benefits, but I think ultimately as a parent, that's where you want to get to that place where your, your kids are privileged enough to have more than one option. Some of us didn't. My only option was go to school and get this degree. That's it. You know, you didn't have room to think about passion, passion, key you there. Like, <laughs> you know, like passion was not an option. Nobody cares what you like. Right. Yeah. You are going to school so that you can earn a living. But I feel like, you know, if we had a little more money, I would have a little more wiggle room to go and make mistakes and come back. But I didn't have none of that, you know. So I think ultimately that that's a goal for a parent. I don't know why. I just, no, uh -uh. I First of all, we come from a, we come from a place where lawyer, doctor, engineer are a prominent society. I count you. <laughs> yeah, that one too. For something finance, I don't, those are the top things in society. Anything outside of that, you're concerned it it or it just don't exist. <laughs> you know what I mean? It don't make sense. Why would they not put you through the system where they know that at least you have a chance of surviving, right? But we also have a society where the old do not want to retire. So how would the young, <laughs> how would the young get these jobs that you know they're forcing us to go do? They're forcing us to do things that the old don't want to retire from. I feel as though with such privilege, man, like if most of us have such privilege, we'll do great things with it. Me, I've never mind, you know, doing something that somebody else wanted me to do in terms of career, because at the end of the day, that's not something that like that one thing does not bound. That that's not all I got to do in life. If I go get that degree, it's not stopping me from, from, from go get another one. Or it's not stopping from using that degree and actually working in what I want to do. Right. Sometimes it's you do something just because you want to silence this person and keep it moving. But in the back of your mind, you already know what you really want to do. I just don't understand why, you know, most of this, excuse my friends, just rich fucks always got to just fuck up shit for other people who don't really get it. And they sit there just <laughs> looking like, damn, like I just want to reach and strangle this person because they don't know the blessings that they got. Because it don't make sense. Like how you got everything that they've already paved the way for you. And you say, no, you want to quit and go to India to go India. What, what are you going to look for? Okay, say you want to go for third term holiday. No problem. But you say you want to quit everything and go? Hey, my friend, please. I wish, right? Parents could say, okay, you know what? Not third term holiday. <laughs> I'm just saying. You right? went all the way back to Cameroon yeah. with third term holiday. <laughs> because that's the only time you could leave to actually go to, you know, holidays and then come back and resume your school or whatever it is that you were doing. So, actually, um, I, I don't know. I don't understand. It, it, it's beyond me. You know, maybe I don't, I'll, I'll never un understand such privilege, but 
you know, one day I just want to, if somebody can throw me into, you know, one of these rich people's shoes just to understand that kind of mindset because I, I, I don't get it. But anyways, am I, am I the only, am I the only one that, like, I think now just based on the discussions, right, I can get it that it was all privilege, but I kind of wish I had a little bit of um, Vincent's courage that he, to me, I, the when I read the book, right, when we were going through the book, I thought he was like, you know what he had he was he was courageous enough to tell his parents that no i don't want to do that i, I want can't. to this is what i'm gonna do and he stuck with it I was like, really? he had he has bile because uh the rest of what i did not me me as you know me is me is let's say me i took a back back way i sabotaged a couple of things that they wanted me to do that's how you know end up in the career that they pushed me to do because i sabotaged the interview <laughs> but anyway that's the real story i guess most forget I was proud of him. I had like a little pride. I'm like, this is something as, I guess, Africans or immigrants, we don't have the privilege to do. You just, you cannot. As T said rightly, it's your only goal is you go to school, get that degree and get that stable job. What else are you thinking about? But I was a little bit like, I was envy of him. I'm like, ah, this boy is living life for that. He, he really woke up and in his young age, he said he wanted to do this and he went and did that. But like, that's cool. I'm going to give him that. That's cool. Because even at this my age, I'm dragging my younger sister. They start telling me that they, you are doing this degree. I'm looking at you side, like sideways because of the culture that has been ingrained in me. Like just how it is. You're I'm confused for a sec, right? Hold on. Is it this same, this same, this same thing? That was, you know, the same attitude from your parents to you. Was that the same from your parents to your brother, or is it just a woman thing? Uh, what I, what attitude? In a sense of, oh, you must do this career and not that one, or you must because where I, because where I'm sitting, I cannot see how my parents could have forced me to do what I didn't want to do. You know, what I mean, I just don't see how. Like, if it's not in me to do it, first of all, like, so for you guys, you know. Like, I don't know, Manette, Therese, you know, Nelly, were you guys forced to sit you there when sitting or did you have choices? Are you firstborn? Am I the firstborn? Not the first boy, yeah. but I'm not the firstborn. You're not the firstborn. No, I'm not the firstborn, no. Okay, that eliminates like 90% of. I mean, I'm the firstborn, but I went against all the rules. That's why I can somehow relate to. to um, Vince. Now I didn't get the I didn't have his privilege, but I knew early on that I did not want to spend years studying something that I didn't like mm -hmm. and knowing that I would have to work this job for I don't know however long before thinking about going back to school and getting more school loans to do what I wanted and what I liked. I I mean it wasn't easy, you know. Everybody wanted pharmacy or doctor. I hate medicine. I hate hospitals. I hate the sort of a needle. Anything medically related, I hated it. So wait, let me get this. They were not paying for the tuition. You were taking loans, but they had to take do it. No, they, they offered to pay if I did pharmacy or medicine. Uh -huh. And I said, I mean, I could spend the, what, four, five, six years because I come out school on free and be miserable. So... I think that I made the option to do what I currently do because I had the opportunity to take out school loans. Mm -hmm. Now, if, if I did not have it, and they, the only option was for them, maybe I would have ended up doing 
pharmacy or medicine. Maybe that was a privilege that I had, you know, to take our spoons. But now looking back, I could still have gotten the, the degree. Because I knew that, I understood that they wanted me to have a successful life financially because our parents tend to want us to do attain a level they didn't get to attain. So they can sit among their friends and say, oh, my daughter is dead. My. So I got that part. So my goal was to attain a higher degree, just not what they wanted. But because they did not understand what occupational therapy was, I knew that it would give me financial freedom. I wasn't even thinking of school at that point. But when it got to a point where I figured out oh, this is what I wanted to do, I mean, like I said, it was me against the world, but Today, people are like, oh, you're happy. And I'm, I love it. And I can go to sleep, go to work, put a kind of pulling my hair out, come back, go to sleep, wake up, and go back. But I do recall when I was in pre pharmacy, I would dread chemistry, physics, maths. I would whine every day and say, oh, I'm doing this because people said I should do it. But when I switched my major, it wasn't any easier. But because I loved it, I looked forward to the challenge, I looked forward to the stress. So, I can kind of relate to Vince in the aspect of you are the what you get to leave. Okay, you are the person that you will spend the rest of your life with, right? You can figure out other ways to make your parents proud. Like I said, they wanted a higher degree, and I gave them a higher degree. It's just not in the field that they wanted. But yeah, it would require some level of being able to afford the other choice, which for me was to be able to take school loans. Now, some of us may not have that. So they would have to go ahead with whatever, whoever is paying for it, asking for. But with the new Gen Z, oof, it's it's interesting because now there is this whole school of, oh, you don't have to go to school to make money. Not in my Well, true. Yeah, because I feel but like you're still, you still going to get that education, though. Yeah, at the very <laughs> basic, I feel like everybody should get at least a college degree. And then from there, you decide want to do a higher degree or because everybody now wants to be an influencer or get into business and think that you know social media is making it look easy but gen z oof, i have some cousins who are gen z and i'm just like oh okay but yeah some choices cover and if you don't have it that's my my father's rule is he doesn't care boy men you're all required to have a degree it's his rule. It's unwritten. It's just, we don't argue about it. You don't conversate. Once you get a degree, you can go and do whatever you want to do. It's, it's like, it's, it's, it's one of those you don't conversate. It applies to everybody. It doesn't matter what a degree. That's the thing. It doesn't matter. Well, he, was, he was strict with me and my brother, right? But uh, my Gen Z sisters, he's very last with it. But the rest of what we were required to have a degree. It, it was a requirement. It was not, we're not, we're not, we're not conversating. I think generally parents are stricter with like goals and objectives when it comes to the girls than they are with the boys, right? Because I think subconsciously they try to prepare us to be chosen. And so they want to put you in that place where you you have everything in your arsenal to be chosen as a wife sometimes like okay she's a good girl we, we we raised her right she went to school she has a degree you know then you're more appealing to be chosen whereas for the guys cannot usually, be too successful though yes you because, cannot be but but then with the guys it's usually 
oh, boys will be boys. After all, they're the ones doing the picking, right? If at the end of the day, you're ultimately responsible for taking care of your family. However you want to do it, that's on you. So they're not, for the most part, generally parents don't put a whole lot of those family pressures on the guy. The main thing they'll pressure a guy sometimes mostly is, oh, when are you getting married? You're looking at him like, this dude doesn't work. Um, he makes half of what his sister makes. But you're like, go get a wife. Whose daughter are you trying to put in that situation? You know, you know what I mean? Yeah. So, so it's like, they would not, like, you can't tell them nothing about that boy child. But you have a daughter out there who's very successful. And you're like, oh, you're doing all that. No man's going to want to come and marry you unless you do this. Oh, and you're wow. like... <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I'm more successful than your so-called precious son, but you're yeah. hoping to pick the creme de la creme of the women out there to marry him. And so sometimes those pressures are more on the girl child than they are on the guys. They really don't yeah. can do whatever I you think, want. I think that in some instances, another reason why the pressure is more on the girl child, like in my case, the pressure is on us, the females, for my dad, because in his mind, he's preparing you. For just in case somebody's son decides to mess you up, you've gotten the education, you can get a job, you can take care of yourself and your family if it doesn't work out. So I think that his own point of view is more of worst case scenario. You know, at least let me get my daughter to where she's self-sufficient and does not have to rely on someone's son to come mess it all up. You know, so. Nelly, that was that was my mom. That is that that was always her rule. It's just like in in you know how back home, what you do in high school determines the rest of your trajectory <laughs> in college. <laughs> life. That's why she took me out. Like I went and did it because in her head she's like, "What are you going to do, biology and chemistry? Go and go and be." It's like she did not even want me to do law because in her head, lawyers suffer too much. Accounting was where she was getting and she was bent and she always says she does not care you only get married after you have a degree after a job you have it and that's exactly what you said what your parents your dad was preparing you guys that was her goal i need you to be self-sufficient just in case you meet somebody so you guys get married and decide that yeah yeah useless and they want to use less you <laughs> so if they get to that point Mm. I should, I should be missing. There's no problem. They can bring you back to my house, but you'll be able to stand on yourself and your family then. So. so let me fix my mouth and ask you guys this. <laughs> now that we have established the issue of, you know, mothers overprotecting their boy children. Now, you upcoming mothers, what is it that you do different in this scenario, in this case? Or what proposals do you guys have? Because I'd love to hear this. Nelly should take this one. <laughs> in the scenario of this, in which scenario? In the scenario of just in general, right? Like, okay, for example, boys. now you have two boys, two girls, right? How would you address the issue of not overtasking your girls, but make it equal? The dynamic should be equal in the house. Like the same that you ask of the women, you ask of the men. How would you propose or how would you right go about establishing this difference in your in, in your home or in your environment well as having my two boys and my girl it's definitely an equal opportunity household yeah whatever the girl can do the boy can do as well um 
the only pressure that I put or the only way I parent my voice a little bit differently is that I want I want to raise them in a way that they value women, you know, be it in how they treat their sister, how they treat their aunties, or all the women in their life generally. Um, I want them to grow up knowing that it is their responsibility to take care, you know, of the females in their life. Um, at the same time, I also want my daughter to know that she can be self-sufficient, you know, like she can do things without necessarily having to rely on her brothers to do it for her. You know what I mean? Um, there's no oh, it's boys who do this. It's girls who do this. Everybody does it equally, but I'm definitely putting the pressure on the boys to take care of the women in their life. Now I did not grow up. I did not have younger brothers to see how my parents raised them differently. Um, the only experience that I have with men were the men, you know, that I was in relationships with and then my boy children. Um, but I would say, yeah, raising those boys, the goal is to make them well-rounded, but value women for sure. Yeah. A woman is not, be it in like the way they talk to each other. Now they're still young. You know, I let them know you cannot raise your voice at a woman. You can't raise your voice at your sister. Her opinion has to be heard. You know, I want that ingrained in them um, to know that a woman's voice is important. I saw this research where um, I think it's Gen, what is our generation? Gen X? Millennials. Yeah, our generation is more into encouraging their boy children to be know, familiar with the kitchen because our generation used our generation and the ones backwards see women as you know cook for me as you know your face is in the kitchen and all of that and one of the main criteria that men used to look for in women is can they cook and then it turns out that cooking is not a female or woman thing it's a life skill skill mm -hmm. So, yeah, um, I don't know if it was a research article or it was just, you know, an opinion article. But, um, yeah, a generation, it was a poll. I think a poll, you know, a poll where, you know, how they're raising their sons together and differently and all of that. And I think that's a good thing because, you know, um, there are stories of men hanging out with women just because they can cook something for them. Meanwhile, you can look up a YouTube video of me. Like my younger brother. He could not boil water to save his life. But with this whole IT thing and job in different states, he finds himself in Colorado. Now he's already cooking equa. I do not know the last time I cooked equa. Like the thought of having to go to the cocoa and wrap it. And, no, he'll just wake up one day and he'll cook equa and post it. I'm like, well, go for you. Back in the day, I'll tell you the boy rice and you look at me like, yeah, so it's, it'll be, Good that you know boys have ways to be able to sustain them themselves, you know, yeah. especially in the aspect of you do your own laundry, put your clothes in the hamper, yeah. not on the floor by the hamper, right. which is something that I um, instilled in my younger cousin because I grew up with them. 
it's like just because you're a boy doesn't mean you would take your clothes off at the door and just throw it like it's a basketball. You will make it in the hamper and that should be okay. No, it's not. Go pick it up, put it in the hamper. You know, basic life skills. Okay. Let me bring all of the, let me, let me drag you guys back a little bit. Most of these boys that we speak of are being raised by women, by say, right? So in a sense that what does that say about the women who raised them? And the boys that to come to will be raised by women and some men too. But at the same time, I feel like sometimes it's being overshadowed by the women, right? And what does that say to them too when they don't instill these things, but yet want them to magically know? I'll still stand by the fact that everybody got their role. If to say that a thief breaks in the house, I'm not going to look at my sister like, they'll go be the first person to stand at the door. She's going to run from <laughs> at me. But in the sense that why, in the sense that if we're speaking about this thing that we're speaking of, why can't she go be the first person to stand in front of the door? Why would she stand behind me? Now, to manage research, I feel as though it's two different places and two different times, right? The generation comes from a generation from Cameroon where women were more prone to be at home while men go work. The man brings it home and if the woman is home, then what else is she doing if she cannot handle that? Or the people go out to the farms and different things like that, right? Um... So in a sense, yeah, uh, yeah, I can see why that would be so. Um, but still, if I feel as though I'm not good at cooking and you are, and I'm good at something else that you're not, I don't see why it's not a fair trade. Now tell me that, yeah, I could learn just in case you're sick, you know, there's somebody to, you know, uh, 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 um, carry on that, you know, that task. That's a different conversation. But in a sense, hey, if you're good at it, why not? Why not do it? Because you do it faster. You do it better. You know what I mean? And I guess we could save some lives because I could damn near poison some people if I go touch that pot, you know? So why don't we see it like that? Why must it be that always oh, it's, it's X, Y, and Z? And, you know, when it comes to breastfeeding, you're not going to look at me and say, no, you must breastfeed too because you have nipple. <laughs> he said because you have nipple. Ha <laughs> this guy. You were. Wait, life skill is a life skill. That's different from... Uh, the word just keeps my mind but would they I mean, know that this woman put these days if i tell a woman to pick up her axe to split wood bushy i mean some women could but i would not i mean i don't know if it's like an equality thing it's more of like when people make it a requirement for a life partner like oh you have to know how to cook you know as that's one what, of that's, a, that's a life skill that's a life skill you know what i'm saying like some women will say that I mean, but if you're if you're single, bro, how you how do you eat? Do you order food every day? If the money is there, why not? I mean, if you can, good for you. You know, that's what I'm saying. That food, food doesn't in Cameroon. I used to break firewood. Oh, I don't know if we're seeing this. I was straight to break firewood. I mean, I used to, but I won't do it now. I won't. <laughs> I was like, what is that? Broke firewood. You see, you be chicken. That that people are kidding that they say it's for men in my house where I grew up. Yeah. I kill them. So <laughs> I mean, while while we're trying to answer this disparity in gender roles, right? Can we tie that to the two husbands and the two wives? Um, like Jende uh, and Clark in their roles as husbands, and then Cindy and Nanny with the roles as, as wife, just, you don't have to do both. Just pick, pick one and, and, and speak on it. So uh, I just want to piggyback off what AK, like AK just brought in a perfect conversation when he was um, speaking on earlier, he said the women are the ones um, 
bringing up the men and why can't they just instill these things in them, right? Um, in the case as Cindy, as a mother, you can tell that as a parent, right? She, she, I think her relationship with Clark is, you know, your role. I'm here and you're here. You're supposed to do this. That's in Clark's head from the way I understood the book. That, 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 that was his rationale by how he responded to the issues that, um, Cindy would bring up to her bring up to him according to the issues, like if there's something with the family. In that case, you could clearly tell that Cindy was struggling, right? This is, we know our roles, but we're parents, we're married, we're, we're partner. Cindy was struggling with the family life in the sense that I think she was trying to get, um, she believes that her son was going astray, was not doing the things that he was not, that he was doing because his father was absent and he had valid reasons to be. And she came to her husband and said, hey, yes, I know that's what I'm supposed to do, but this is what's happening. Can you help me? But he said, no, he just, he said, he's a man. He, not that he said, no, I'm not saying he didn't say no, but he really didn't approach it. So he didn't do anything about it because he kept asking, what, what is it that you want me to do? It's like, it was a blaming game for both of them. There was like a, there was like a lack of communication because she's saying, yeah, she was blaming him technically, which she shouldn't have. He was, but rather than him listening, it became like a, a like a fuss. And so, in that sense, in terms of family, compared to um, Jende and, and Nene, which I, I mean, I can touch about, but compared to that, I was like, were they really a unit in that sense? Because it's like, I think there was so much involved in their role as husband and wife, provider versus homemaker or home builder, that they forgot the dynamics of family per se, like we're a unit. Yes, I know what I'm supposed to do and I know what you're supposed to do, but at the end of the day, we are a pair where you need something wrong and you to fix it. And if you're looking at, if you want to look into in depth into situations, there's a couple of things you can say. Clark as a husband should have noticed, but he just did not notice it. It literally just went past him. That if you're reading the book on my outside that you ask, which I think Nenny and Jendi, everybody kept asking, how the hell? It's like, how the hell is Clark does not know this is his wife drinks? How does he not notice these things? How does he not know that? How is it possible? Because there are certain things that you're thinking in your head that he should. Yes, she's an alcoholic. I walk in. They, they have perfect ways of hiding it. But there are certain things. There's just something in their relationship that was missing. That I think if we want to look at it, it's because they were so involved in their roles and they forgot the, the, the simplest things of what family and marriage and having a partner is. There was something that, you know, he had mentioned when Jende had asked. Oh, no, he he mentioned that he he writes short poems or something like that. And you know, and then when he's and and when he said, "Why don't you write one for your wife?" And he said, oh, "I wrote one and I read it to her, and she just didn't pay no mind to it." You know, what I mean, that's a epic moment, right? That for me as a man, I'm like, I mean, for everybody in general, right? Like, the littlest things count, right? Yeah. If a little thing like that you pay less attention to, not that it's a tit for tat, but why do you think that your own thing is something that somebody else should pay attention to? You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's like what you want that will give you pleasure or give you that high in life what do you think that the other person too also got their own thing that will give them that high in life too as well right and then also take it back to nanny and you know and, and her husband you know what i mean they have that yeah they got that love for each other but when it came down to decision making you know and just finding middle ground it was like you know they kept bumping heads and one person was just overshadowing the other yeah, i think I they always that you know they all had each other's lives at some point, you know, like the roles reversed. So yeah, it's just, it's just sitting and saying, Oh, my own life sucks. I wish I had other person's own life, but 
why don't you just play the hands that you are dealt? Yeah, I think yeah. that with Nani and Jende, I really admire the, speaking of like their role and the different dynamics, when Nani was pregnant, with her second pregnancy, and Jende kind of stepped in, making sure that he was like cooking, he was cleaning, he was making sure that she didn't work. And she talked about how she would be the envy of any woman out there, like this is what they would have wanted. Because the whole time she was still wanting to be able to provide for her family. So when it came for time to work, to provide for the family as a unit, they were both committed to that. But when one person physically wasn't able to do that, the other person was able to step in and cover just like a unit should function. So I think that that's something that was very different from the Clarks, uh, the, uh, the Edwards, the Edwards family. Um, they didn't have the ability to cover for each other or to step into each other's roles when needed. Yeah. I think initially, um, Nene had a hard time accepting the whole, you know, you don't have to work. I think it came to, she came to accept it after she spoke to her friend. I think Patu said, I oh, know Be Betty, Betty. We'll say, yeah, if you don't like yeah. it, then we can switch roles. You can take my life and I'll take your life. So that's when she became more, was the word, appreciative of the fact that, you know, she could relax and just go through the pregnancy while um, Jendi stepped in. I find it funny sometimes, you know, when some women ask for something and it's given and they still bitch about it. In my mind, I'm like, what do you want? Like, what really do you want? You know what I mean? Because specific example would be helpful. <laughs> that would be nice. <laughs> I mean, it's like, some people want to sit right and relax while the men go work and clean and do all these different things. It's given to you. You are fighting it. Why? That's some people though. Yeah, what that's, about that's what women, right. so, you yeah. can't be given something to someone that that's not what she's asking for. Mm -hmm. You understand? Mm -hmm. If I don't want to sit and relax, but you're giving me the opportunity to sit and relax, that's not what I want. You know, I shouldn't be grateful for it just because that's what, 90% of the population wants, you know? Mm -hmm. So if, if that's what you're asking, you know, I hope that answers your question. Yeah, that's it does, it does. You know, sometimes it, it sounds like they're complaining about something. They're, if they're complaining, it's because they're not getting what they're asking for, you know? And it's either that you're not, whoever is giving is not listening to really what their partner is asking for, or they're just assuming that this is what she deserves. So this is what she needs. So how did you find that moment in the book, right? The, that, that banter between them of, no, I want this, but he's saying this and that. How did you find that moment? I think that she kind of was pressured into accepting it from her friends, the conversations with her friends, and actually mm -hmm. like getting comfortable with it. And that made me think about, well, if this were Cameroon, she obviously will not be working, being pregnant. Um, so I didn't know if she herself was going through kind of an internal struggle with assimilating to the American culture. Because in America, you're going to be working up until your maternity leave or whatever. So I don't know if it's because she had assimilated to the culture and she just assumed that she needs to work to continue to provide for her family or if she just truly wanted to work because she enjoyed working. Um, Nelly, speaking back off of you, I thought in that particular scenario with that, um, her being pregnant and Jade telling her not to work, I think it's more she looked at the situation because where they were, remember they were already struggling financially. They had mm -hmm. 
yes, they were struggling a lot and there was a lot of money issues. And so she did not understand how she could get out the workforce and just have Jendi work alone and how they could survive on one income. Was he making more than what they were before? Yes, he was. But I think she just had that in the back of her mind. And so it was hard for her to detach from that mindset. Uh, yes, in Cameroon, she probably would have been home and not work and her husband uh, will go home, go out and make the money and come back. But she's in America. Things are different. She doesn't have the resources and everything else that she, maybe she'll pretty much be like family resources like, oh, auntie can help, auntie can help, those Leo me. This, this. She didn't have that thing with her. And so in America, in her head, you had to work for us to get to this point. And so it was more I think a responsibility and as a wife to me, honestly, it's more her wanting to help her husband because that's where she was coming from. That's how I saw it. Like she wanted to help her husband because she could tell he was going to struggle. And so she's like, you know what? Um, let, let me do this until we get to this point. I cannot do it. And don't go from there. But again, you said something very important that in a relationship, it's, um, it's actually something I read recently that they say, if you can figure out what you're in a relationship, if you can love figure out language. what you're, uh, it's not a love language. They say, but if you can figure out what your partner's wants is in a relationship, what your partner's wants is, you can figure out what that need is. You have control over that relationship. So as if you can, if like she said that she does not want to work. She had her reasons, but Jende wasn't listening to it. But also she wasn't figuring out what Jende wants. Jende's want was that he wanted to be the man of the house. He wanted to be responsible. He said he wanted to be able to take care of his family. And to him, to him, I read it as to him, her working during when she's pregnant came up as if he was not, I think, I guess, mad enough to do what he was supposed to do. Yeah. So that's how I read it. So both of them, actually, in that case, were not listening to each other's one. They didn't know what each other wanted. They were not listening to each other at all. I mean, um, the only reason um, I think Nanny um, finally gave in was because her friends was like, are you mad? Every woman in America wants to be right you right now. I am sitting here and complaining. My friend Pastor guy sitting in your house. Then it dawned on her, like, oh, this is a privilege I have, and I actually should enjoy and I should appreciate it. Because she just she had gotten her out of her head. Like I want to help the husband. I want to get something, but that was not what he wanted. He's telling me that let me be a man, let me do it, but she didn't listen. So both of them were not listening to each other's ones. They were doing whatever they wanted. I mean, speaking of Jende doing what he wants, right? Um Let's touch a little bit. I think I'll probably just fast forward in the book, right? Where Jende made the ultimate decision for him and his whole family to go back home mm-hmm. without asking Nanny, <laughs> without seeking. How did that make y'all feel? Let us drink to this. <laughs> How did that, that make y'all feel? Drink. Woo, that was <laughs> the, theme. the theme, I think the theme of the book, one of the themes of the book was people were not speaking up. Nope. And, like, no one was willing to speak up. Jende did not speak up with his boss to ask for immigration help. That would have probably solved a lot of your problems. Nani did not speak up to her husband because I think that was a decision that literally changed the trajectory of all of their lives, including the kids, mm-hmm. you know. Um, she did not speak. I really thought that she was going to get to, some, I thought she was going to, develop some kind of courage after consulting with the pastor and going, you know, to great lengths with that, even though her husband did not want her to. So I kind of felt proud of her that she insisted on seeking counsel from someone else, but she did nothing with it. She did not speak up. So that really, oof, that really upset me. Okay, those who were Um, drinking. 
If Jenner really felt like, you know, he was working for his family, he could have set his pride aside and asked for help. Because at the end of the day, what did he stand to lose if he had asked his boss? Mm -hmm. He was still returning back anyways. Right. You know what I mean? So at some point, I felt as though there's this blind allegiance to unknown factors right that most of us go day to day with but yet wonder why some things happen the way they do and not realize just this blind allegiance that we have to certain things that don't work or work in a bizarre way for you know for us so it was just bizarre that you know somebody said oh i'm doing this for my family but then what it really takes for you to do what you're not doing Mm -hmm. you are debating over the unnecessaries and what's really necessary right right in front of you you know you cannot let your ego oversee that so it was kind of bizarre to me i think that looking back to culture right you know the man makes a decision i mean that's what i told myself to not jump out of the book like okay fine he's making decisions as a man i guess makes him feel like a man Oof. and you know going back off of ak's point i'm not asking help for help um i mean i feel like our generation has learned to ask for help back then it's like you either figure it out on your own or Talk to the person you've been referred to because it's man no man. So yeah, to a certain extent, maybe he didn't ask for help because maybe he thought that because his um work permit was expiring or had expired, it may have made things worse. I mean, there's a lot of unknowns there, but yeah, I think a lot of how he went about certain things can be tied to cultural upbringing or just how we grow up. You know, back then you don't ask questions, you just do what you're told. I don't know, it feel like a man that was defeated, you know. He was. Like he was, he was. defeated at the end. And because of again, I say his pride, you know what I mean? He just couldn't oversee the fact that, yo, you know what? Damn, I'm about to own up to my shit. Now I'd rather we go back home than me standing here owning uh -huh. up to my shit. You know what I mean? So that was kind of bizarre to no. me. I'm like, dang. But okay, see, you have to understand that Jende Jonga is a Bakwari man. Yep. <laughs> and there's one thing about Bakwari men is he will die before he takes his pride out the way. Okay. And this is mm -hmm. clearly exhibited here, right? He, his pride took the best of him. Are most Bakwari men short? No. No. <laughs> They're really wow. tall. They're really tall men. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he had to ask, but no. But people are not that. The majority of them are tall. They're really tall. You know, speaking of his pride, I kind of questioned that a little bit because as a man and thinking about how he got to be with Nani and thinking about her dad and the position that he was in, you know, and how he felt about their relationship. I don't know if he, well, to me, my ultimate no-no or my breaking point would have been the idea that I have to bring back this woman back home, you know, the field life. You know, I thought that that would trump immigration trying to kick me out. 
you know? And I don't know if that had occurred to him. I just, I just don't think that he fought. He did not, he did not fight enough. And it's hard for me to, to assume that it was because of pride. Because if he was truly prideful, returning home. Yeah. It's kind be, of he don't have pride. Yeah. I'll tell you, he had a landing spot though with that one. Because he went home with like, what, 15 million? So on that front, his, he had a landing spot for his pride. Because if he was going empty-handed now, that would have been another story. But he's going back super rich with 15 million. He already had a plan to open his business. So that part was taken care of. So he wasn't worried about that. Well, then that makes me wonder, if Nani had not gotten that blackmail money, would he have decided to go? Probably not. That is a, that is a good question. That's that what I'm is saying. A good question. Foolish pride. <laughs> Foolish pride. <laughs> Yes, he was he was okay. I think just the whole thing is if she gets the money, you yell at her. Then you make decisions about the money. I'm like, if you guys if are going back to the fundamentals of you guys being a couple, why was it so hard for you just to have a conversation with your wife and actually listen to her when she talked? Like he did not he sat down and he made a decision and he stuck with it. He did that throughout the book. Like he'll just say, We have to do this, that's it. It doesn't matter if she can go left, up and down, left, right. It doesn't matter. That's the decision which, okay, as a man, I, I can understand that. But I just personally, I'm very heavy on conversations. Let's talk. Like, let's, 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 let's have a conversation. Let's, let's talk about this thing. I reason each other. The man was, it drove me nuts. And if, then it was nice because I almost, uh, in my head, I read the book. I had to go back. I was like, okay, let's take a step back or write a book. It's not real. It's just it's a fictional story. Because I'm like, why could this man not just have a conversation with his wife? Why would he make a decision and think because whatever decision he makes works for me? It's just the thing that you could clearly see. She didn't want to leave her friends. She didn't want to live her life. She clearly said, going back to her, like, um, I think it was Nelly that mentioned it, that taking your wife back home, that pride, that shame that comes with it, she felt it. He didn't. And he said he was going back a millionaire. That's you, sir. <laughs> what about me? <laughs> I ain't got shit. You ain't got that. I ain't got I brought, that. I brought you here, so oh. taking you back should not be. A <laughs> <laughs> I mean, in your opinion, right? In everyone's opinion, who do you think um, made the ultimate sacrifice for their families and for all the characters, whether it's Clark, Vince, Mighty, whoever. Who do you think made the ultimate? Sacrifice for family. Nanny. I think Clark. Why you think Clark? And then Nelly, you can tell us why, Nanny. <laughs> I'm curious. Because I feel like he lost everything mm. in the end. So he sacrificed everything in the end. Mm -hmm. His wife, his family, his job, whoever he was hanging out with, everybody gone. Job. Mm -hmm. Well, I guess sacrifice can be looked in, you know, the outcome. Because he ended up losing everything. And because Nene still had something to hold on to. I mean, even though she was going back home, she was going back with a lot of things to probably figure out the life ahead. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, and I think to speak on your point for a little bit, I think Clark, when he lost, when his company filed bankruptcy, is that what happened? When the company filed for bankruptcy, I thought that that would have been kind of like an opportunity for him to reset. I thought so too. 
but I, he didn't grab at it, you know? Um, but for the reason why I think that Nani made the most sacrifice, she sacrificed a career that she potentially would have had something that she was actually passionate about. Um, her, her child's life, you know, Leomi and Timba, you know, and the futures, the opportunities that America would have provided. There's no way, there's no way that Cameroon provide, would have provided this, those same opportunities. Um, and she, just herself, you know, she couldn't, she literally did not have a voice. Um, I wondered what would have happened if she insisted on staying and marrying her friend's cousin, you know, so she could get her papers and she could have let him go, you know. Yeah. Like, oh. For a lot of it, I was like, just let him go. If he wants to go, yeah. let him go. <laughs> you know, she has the legal path to stay in this country and she can figure her way out. Then let him go. I, I don't know how she um she agreed to jump on the bandwagon with him. Because I don't know. Love would not have been enough for me to make that decision. love is not enough. No, love would not have been enough for me. I don't know. Why do I think... um. I think all those three characters were well, specifically not Cindy. Because Cindy, I don't know if she sacrificed much, but I think Clark, Nani, and Jende did have to give up a lot because it was AK that mentioned this earlier that I think Jende got to the point where here because he was a defeated man, he got defeated. Because Jende had the American dream. He spoke about it throughout the entire book. He just... He had this plan for his family. He brought many of them here. The pride he had bringing his wife over here with his child, going through all of that, working the amount of jobs that he did. Um, and he, at the end, just giving up all of that. Like this little, I was a castle that he had built in his head that was going to happen. I think he did, he did lose a lot. He just, the book said he, he did not show it. But they can think that he was feeling it, but I think he felt it. I'm just saying, I think he, he probably like it touched him. He because he did, he had, you know, it's like I think in my head, the way I was reading it, right? I'm like, yeah, why is a dude, right? He, he's, he's a guy because even I, as a female, she gave a lot because um, many gave up a lot because especially with the immigration part when they say she could marry. Somebody else. She was not asking to leave her husband. She was saying that I'm still going to be married to you, but I just need to take a break, get someone and get papers and come back. That takes a lot for somebody to do. That's that's a lot for her to do it. Just how much she had to give, and then him sitting and asking himself like his own goal is like, why would I have to sit in this country and spend this amount of money? My child is going to be an illegal immigrant. I even forgot the fact that. Nenny was willing to give Leomi off for adoption just so he could. Mm, yeah. Talk about sacrifice. Like, I take that back. Nenny did a sacrifice a lot. Never mind. Sorry. I just, I opened that back. see what Jende sacrificed. Yeah, yes. He, he sacrificed his wife. I have. <laughs> like, not to be, I think it's just because he had this idea of the perfect family, the American dream. He spoke about it, having opportunities, and it was nothing. He was a something push. I don't remember what he did in Cameroon. Uh, I'm coming to this country. He, like, he was going to be amazing. He was going to be the pillar of everything. And I'm sad at the end he gave up because I feel like he gave up. And I just pisses me off that he did give up on everything. But now that I'm thinking and listening to you guys, so 
and a lot of scenarios are popping in my head and i need to give up a lot i was gonna like, ask you giving up is not the same as a sacrifice no many 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 sacrificed a lot i mean i'm thinking about the difference between sacrifice and blind following <laughs> you know or just following because you don't want to use your voice you know um so are you saying Nini was blind following i mean i want to say that she did not put her foot down you know because i want to see i want to see like i want to think about I want to imagine what if she actually put her foot down and decided to do what she wanted to do, regardless of, you know, the outcome or actually debated a little bit more or argued, you know, her stance a little bit more, you know what I mean? So I don't want to just say that sacrifice, but I guess, um, I would say Clark because it's like the man was just confused all around. You know what I mean? He did, he was trying to, he was trying to please every single situation and, and, and at some point just lost it, you know, just, totally lost it and dropped the ball you know and and yeah so i'll give it i mean i'll say clark for some reason i don't know i just felt like he dropped it big time yeah no i just i was trying i think i was trying to rationale you know, like how was she blindfolded i was like it's a married couple and we the book is centered around an african family and how the dynamics of being an african marriage is we we clearly say in the house um at the beginning of the the, the episode um Okay, you mentioned that one thing you enjoyed about it, you don't know, you thought it was, I don't know if you say it was cool, you enjoyed it was the patriarchal way that he ran his household. And then I'm like, if you run a household that way, how did you expect her to put her foot down and say, no, I'm not going to do this, I'm going to do X, Y, Z, you understand? So it's just... When push comes to shove, you know, like different, what's that thing, how they say it? Um, desperate time calls for de desperate measures. You know what I mean? Like, you have to be able to recognize a certain moment and say, you know what? I came from the dump and I don't want to go back there. Regardless of how you want to see it, I am not going back there. Now, this is the thing, right? I don't understand why this Winston, this, this, um, um, that little guy's name was Winston, right? No, sorry. I don't understand why she couldn't just chill. Wait when the husband is at work. And then go and have a conversation with the Abubakar guy and say, hey, here's what I'm thinking. What do you think? You know what I mean? I understand the respect, but again, desperate time calls for desperate measures. Sometimes if you feel, if you really feel convicted in your heart that, you know what, this person is not hearing and you have a solution, you just have to take action. The repercussions will come later and you can deal with that. Now I'm going, going back to Cameroon because of somebody else's foolishness. Man, I don't know, man. I'm I'm gonna marry, even if you know even if even if i marry you know whomever that's what i would do to stay because again the idea was to give our kids a better future than ourselves mm -hmm. so you know nothing was going to trump that in my opinion i mean looking at the book in its entirety right do you think that the the jonga's family did have their american dream after all did have their what american dream and to you like in the book what like, would you say just from the book's perspective do you just would you say that they they had it why why not no they didn't man did he no they did not they did not they did not yeah i don't think they did they, did not. they didn't have the opportunity to they were they were 10 percent there you know they didn't have the opportunity to really experience it you know the way they wanted to because part of it was giving their kids that you know, that freedom to go to school, become something for themselves. So why did themselves also become something to, you know, make money to go back to and 
you know, build on all this stuff. So they did not really. See, I, I would say I disagree. I think Jende did. At least he had some kind of version of it, right? Because he ended up going back. Now, nobody back home knows the kind of sufferings that he went through and the roller coaster of emotions, right? But here's a man coming back into Limbe Town, a millionaire. All they see is he went abroad, came back a millionaire. He's going to do big things, open a thing. So I think he got some kind of version of it. Um, but I think Nanny did not. She did. She absolutely did not. Because her dream, at the end of the day, as much as they wanted to give their kids a better life and all that, they can still do that. Timba is a, is a citizen. She can always go back, right? Um, Leomi can always go older and sister files for him or he can still go back, right? He's still a child. Um, but I think Nanny was the one who didn't get it because her dream was contingent upon her geographical location. There's no way she's being a pharmacist in Cameroon. Yeah. So she didn't even have not even a, a, a version of that American dream, but everything she did helped Jende get his American dream. His main thing was to have money and this. To be honest, I don't think it really mattered to Jende where he had money. All he wanted was to have money and not be looked upon as that guy who went to jail because he was too poor and impregnated a rich man's child. That's all he needed. Whether it was in America or Cameroon, he did not care. And I think that's why it was so easy for him to be like, well, I okay. mean, after all, I got all this money. We go back to Limbe. I can do yeah. this. I can open a construction company. I can make this. I can. So to me, that's, that's how I feel. I disagree with you because his American dream did not, did not have anything to do with that money till the end when he was defeated and he, and he was like, yo, you know what? Fuck it. We're just going to go home. You know what I mean? I mean, Correct me if I'm wrong. American dream is being an American and doing these necessary things that you need to do for yourself in America. Now, part of it is saying that you want the liberty to be able to travel and go different places. Sure. But while you're in America, you want to live this lavish lifestyle of you, you, you're working, you're living in a good home, your kids are going to school and all that stuff. That's my understanding of what an American dream is. Now, if you bail and go someplace else and you're living there and doing that, how is that American dream for you? That's why I said he got some kind of version of it. Yeah. Right. He took a piece of that life with him. It, it, oh, it wasn't it wasn't what he set out to to have to begin with, but he had I think he got a sweeter deal than Nanny did. Oh, he definitely yeah. got a sweeter deal than anybody. Than yeah. him, his entire family. But what I think who I think did the most disservice to them was Winston. And I think that that's a common theme with those of us in the diaspora. He did not adequately prepare them for what it takes to achieve that American dream. A lot of it was perseverance. You know, I don't think that he had prepared them. And I also don't think that there's anything that Winston could have said to Jende, you know, that would have made him be like, hmm, this may not be easy, but you can do it. You know, nothing, there's nothing that Winston would have said to like change his mind or his, his perception of what America will be like. But I definitely think that Winston could have prepared them because if you're coming in, knowing that there will be struggle, your mindset is already tailored to, okay, I'm going to persevere. They said there will be trouble. They said it's mm. not going to be easy. 
easy. So this is just part of the course, you know. So I'm just gonna have to persevere and wait. I also think that fear was another thing that really prevented them because if he had stayed, if he had let, if he had ended up filing all those multiple appeals, that would have bought him several years, you know. So at least gave Nani the chance to attain some level of the dream, you know, instead of just finally giving up. Um, but yeah, he definitely got some version of his American dream. And he's the only one who got that. Yeah. When Clark offered to call his guy at USCIS and Jende denied, I almost threw my tablet across the room. <laughs> yeah. And he was like, Oh, don't worry, it's already decided. I was like, I already bought my ticket. <laughs> this man doesn't even want to fight. Yeah. Nope. Yeah, he gave up. And because of that, I don't see how that was an American dream for him. I mean, like. I mean, I think that he did not want to fight because it felt like he got something. I mean, it may not have been the entire American dream, but I feel like if he didn't have all the money that he had, would he have fought more? Would he have let Black call his... In yeah, because then he was willing to, to do something about it, but he wasn't. Mm -hmm. And I think she was willing to do something because... She, uh, look at, look at, look at, look at, look at uh, uh, Gano, for example. Why is he? Why is he not in America, living in Los Angeles, or somewhere in, in the UK, living in London? He decided to go and be living in Payi. Why? The man has converted the, the money to Cameroon money, and said that it's much much plenty to go live in Cameroon. Guy did his math. You know what? If I go back to Cameroon, I'm a millionaire instead of a thousand yeah, in America. So right now, in this given moment, this lawyer is saying this. If we take this money and give to the lawyer. It could burn. But if I go back here, I could make a business. But then again, who is it say that that thing will even survive? You know what I mean? So I still feel as though men's quit the American dream. <laughs> <laughs> yep. And to um, think of what Nelly said about Brimstone not preparing them, I don't know that he could have prepared them enough. Because I remember I just came to the U.S. Um, and then I started working. And then I was going to school. I have my friends complaining, oh, I'm not sending money. I'm not calling enough. You know, they say that America has, I mean, I didn't say this like this, but it felt like this notion that money is, you know, flying off trees, you know. And I try to explain to them that it's not what you see in the media and they still didn't get it until they got here. Mm. And someone them called me back and they were like, oh, now I get it. You know, sometimes you would have to walk in those shoes in order to understand the struggle because telling people back home that, you know, you work two jobs and you have a big house, you barely sleep in, and you have a car note that you pretty much live in your car, but they won't get it until they get here. So I don't know how much Winston could have prepared them, but maybe just telling them that it's hard out here in the streets. Yep. Man's didn't want to do his research, so he cannot blame nobody but himself. You know what I mean? They cannot give you a bed. I give you, anyways. You know where that goes. So, uh, <laughs> in conclusion, you know what I mean. Let's give our conclusions to this book. You know what I mean? Rate. I should give our conclusions. Please rate the book. You know, from one to ten. And would you recommend this book to anybody? So let's go. I like. I love that the book keeps kept me 
engaged. Mm -hmm. Like like I said, it's the second time I'm reading it and some parts still have me like flipping pages ahead. I'm like, wait a minute, what's gonna happen? So I like I like the part that, you know, it kept me active. It, it's not one of those books that you're like, oh, it's a slow start and it's a slow again. Yeah, um, with reading it, hmm, I don't know if I'm going to say 10 because it's a Cameroonian. <laughs> I loved it. I loved it. So I gave it like a 9.98. Yeah, and it's a book that I will read again if, you know, the opportunity presents itself. Like I said, the second time I'm reading it. So it's a, it's a good tie or it's a good connection to back home. So it felt like, you know, I was traveling back in time, should I say. Nice. Nelly. Well, I'll definitely give it maybe an 8. Um, I felt like it was very relatable. It had a lot of themes that, um, like you could see yourself, you could immerse yourself into the scenes. Um, it was also thought provoking. Mm -hmm. I don't like that um, we had to do a lot of assuming, especially with the characters, Clark and his wife, and what the dynamic was between the two of them. Um, there was a little bit more that could be said to that relationship. Um, I like the themes of, I like the Cameroonian culture, African culture versus American culture. I like that we're able to compare or as a reader, you're able to draw differences between my region and African culture versus an American culture um, and things like that. Will I refer to someone? Definitely. Um, anyone who is who has newly migrated, um, anyone who's planning to, anyone who has been here and is already struggling. It was nice to read about things that we all have experienced, you know, one way or the other. So, yeah, it's a good book. I would definitely recommend this book. Um, like Nelly said, that's something I didn't think about, but anyone who's planning to migrate, just give them that and be like, this could potentially be your life. So, Prepare yourself, but probably do what Winston failed to do. Like, read this, and these are possibilities when you come over here, right? Um, I would definitely recommend to print. I think everybody should get a copy, right? Um, even non, even, you know, you're not an immigrant. It kind of gives you an insight into someone else's life on their journey to attaining the American dream. And so I think it's something that everyone else should read. Um, I think I would give the book a a nine um, because it was filled with a lot of nostalgia from back home. I liked how it represented a lot of the um, Cameroonian culture in it. Um, it preserved it even while they were in the U.S. Uh, through the Jonga family. Um, I think the one thing that he was missing is something. There was a lot of us. There was, it's hard to judge, like uh, Nelly just mentioned. It's hard to judge the Clark's family because there was a lot missing. Some was not a lot of background story there. So there was a lot of assumptions. But But I think it was very also very stereotypical right of the african home and the american home but you know it was for good reason right for context in the book but overall it is a good book yes um overall i i enjoyed um reading the book um i think i 
probably ready to fast. I need to go back and reread it just so I can enjoy more of some of the scenarios in there. I listened to the audiobook and it was always so funny for me to me when I heard the people reading Pigeon. It was like hilarious. It was just like, okay, this sounds so weird. <laughs> so bizarre. But I enjoyed it. I think both families, um, the book, it gave a, I would say, maybe a good exaggerated depiction of the African household. Cameroon, to be more specific, but African in general and the American um, scenario of things. But we need to understand that in the book, right, this, uh, we keep forgetting that these people came from two different classes, though. That the the, the Edwards were like a higher, they were supposed to be wealthy New Yorkers. They were the higher rich folks. And the Wall Street people that had money. And then the Jungers, back home, one of them came from money, but then they are poor. And so they came from two separate backgrounds. So it was, it was kind of very interesting to see um, the family dynamic between both of them. One thing I enjoyed about the book is, as dramatic as it was, it had a, like a, it was versatile in terms of the different topics they addressed. Immigration, um, I think the, uh, the immigration part of it applies to every immigrant, African, Asian, whoever, everybody has gone through that similar story. It's just the struggles that come with it. Family. Those the family, the family dynamics of both, like, both cases and how different that worlds were. And I think marriage and relationship. I just, I liked how it, it kind of gave us like a, I would say like an insight, but like a different perspective of two different cultures, two different couples from two different cultures and two different backgrounds, how they handle things and the similarities people talk about it and the differences between both of them, what an African would do. I, I did, it did keep me very, um, very engaged and I liked it because like, T said something very, very, that it was very, it was very typical because I literally went and read the end of the, the, the book. I could like put two and two together to figure out what happened. <laughs> In the middle and then like how visible it was at some point um overall will i recommend the book yes i already did actually I actually said to somebody that's a reader and told them that they should read it because i think it's a good read not even if you're not just an immigrant i just i like the stories with both families because they're actually quite different but similar in a way reading i think i'll give it um a nine because uh, honestly, I did have to do a lot of assuming with, especially with the Clark. I wanted, okay, I wanted the writer to, I was very interested in Cindy and Clark's relationship, the dynamics, the drugs. There was a couple of things that I wanted, I had more questions on that. I would like her to expand on it. Um, or she can write a sequel just so I can see what, what happened. But I mean, Cindy died, um, <laughs> which, which <laughs> we didn't speak, we didn't talk about it. The drugs and the fact that she died from she she ended up passing away and she OD'd and she uh she died from choking her home from it, which is pretty sad. And they really didn't expand on what they did summarize on what he did to Mighty and how this spoke about that, but I wish she had dived more into that um whole aspect of things. So it's a good read overall, actually, actually is whether you're immigrant or not, just and anybody that is a reader. It, it keeps you interested, it keeps you engaged because you're curious as to what happens next, what happens next. Yeah, so me, I'll give it a 9 over 10 just because, you know, I like to keep, you know, one apart. But um, would I recommend it? Of course. Uh, I read it before. So reading again now and then reading in a haste was a pain. So that's just, that. that's my own problem. You know what I mean? It's not, it's not but that's just my own. So, um, but... It's a great book all in one. Um, definitely relatable. 
for immigrants and non-immigrants, but most importantly, is the family dynamics, right? It's like, you reminded me of this song uh, by Niken, Two way you like an eighty go so one way writing an eighty council you wise enough. So it's just that difference in in things. So yeah, very yeah, very cool book. You guys could get it. But anyways, man, shout out to you guys, you know, for reading, of course. Um and you know, like always, bringing the questions and the commentaries and everything. Um I wish we had more time to, you know, jump into other factors of the book, but hey, we we're clocking two hours, so we gotta go. We gotta go. People got work tomorrow. Barbara is already tired, yawning and everything. So, you know what I'm saying? Um, this is SITM Podcast, the book review um, in collaboration with Palm Wine Central Podcast. You know, um, I'm here with Mane, Nelly, Barbara, Therese, and I'm Uncle AK. You know what I mean? Um, our social medias will be somewhere in the show notes. Um, reach out to us. And you know, if you want to have more conversations on this, I'm pretty sure that, you know, there's more in the tank. But anyways, man, like I said, social media will be at the bottom. Reach out to every one of us if you want to keep the conversation going. And we out. Bye.